I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast where women can share their experiences with pregnancy and birth, a space created solely for women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. In this episode, I chat to Claire and she talks me through her pregnancy and the birth of her son, Teddy. This episode is of a sensitive nature as Claire unfortunately went through a pretty traumatic experience. So if you're not quite ready to hear um, a birth story that's a little bit tough to listen to at certain stages, then maybe this episode just isn't for you at the moment. Claire suffered with hyperemesis throughout her pregnancy, so she talks us through that and how she managed to work throughout and try to continue life as normal um, and she was also diagnosed with uh, cholestasis in her third trimester. She then brings us through her journey with her son Teddy. So Teddy was diagnosed with a heart defect um, when he was a couple of months old so she talks us through how she navigated the health system to make sure that he was looked after and got the care that he needed. Claire, thanks a million for joining us. I'm really grateful that you're going to share such uh, intimate details about your experience. Do you want to just start by giving us a little introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Claire. I'm a midwife and a lactation consultant and a postpartum doula and an infant massage instructor. And I'm an evidence-based birth instructor. And there's lots of other things after my name. <laughs> so you can say that I practically eat, sleep and breathe um, birth, babies, pregnancy, the works. Um, so when it came time to have my own, I was absolutely, totally overjoyed and I was working as a midwife in the hospital at the time. Okay. So um, I was super excited, um, super ready to get prepared and, you know, do all the preparation that was necessary. So I was, um, yeah, I was, I was super excited. It was like, you know, something that I'd pl- planned and thought about a lot throughout obviously a lot of people would plan their pregnancies and stuff but just being in the job that I was in you know having seen so many women women give birth and the array the spectrum of different experiences and you know things that can and can't happen and you know you would have gone over your own in your head multiple times you know with Mm -hmm. your own history and your own you know, your own kind of putting your own family and stuff in in places. So yeah, so it was something that I would have thought a lot about. So it definitely wasn't something that I um, closed my eyes and stuck my head in the sand and hoped for the best. I did a lot of preparing. 
I did a lot of, um, well, I, I, I did a lot of reading anyway <clears throat> in being a midwife, but it's, you know, birth and pregnancy was always something that I was really, really passionate about anyway, because my mom has a bit of a colorful obstetric history herself and she, uh, my mom lost two babies. So I think that's kind of what got me into the, you know, the birth world anyway, was like, I grew up listening to my mother's birth stories all the time. Like I knew my mother's birth stories inside out and back to front for like all of her seven pregnancies. Um, you know, from the time I was like knee high, I have a lot of siblings who have, you know, had loads of children before me. So I had like 15 nieces and nephews before I had my own. So like constantly surrounded by birth and babies. And it was um, just very, in like it was interesting to me. So hence why I went into yeah. Why I went into midwifery and stuff. So, but when I had my own, when I got pregnant myself, I really threw myself into it. So I did loads of courses, like you know, um, gentle birth courses, mm -hmm. hypnobirthing courses, and um, you know, antenatal prep classes, breastfeeding preparation classes, you know, everything that they, you know, we we tell women to do to be prepared, yeah. be as mentally prepared as you can. Um, so it's my pregnancy. I like I had a. Uh, I had a complicated pregnancy anyway so okay when I got pregnant I started like I had morning sickness from about eight weeks um and then it just got worse and worse and it never went away and it developed into hyperemesis mm -hmm. so I was hospitalized multiple times during my pregnancy for um for hyperemesis um I lost about three stone during my pregnancy um yeah I was actually the smallest I was while I was pregnant like and were you trying to work through this I, as well so I worked in the hospital through this yeah Gosh. it's it's kind of scary in looking how I handled my pregnancy had a lot to do with my job like my career because I think I really had that mindset of you just have to go to work and just get up and get on with it. And you're just pregnant. And so is everyone else you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really was like, in hindsight, I was very, very harsh on myself. I would be much kinder to myself. Um, the next time round, definitely. I was, I definitely wasn't um, finding myself like I should have been. So yeah, so I worked through it. It was, it was absolutely, it was horrific. Like, um, I wasn't eating anything. I would get up in the morning. I take antiemetics. Um, I was on Zofran, which is what they give to chemo patients to stop um, nausea. I'd take that in the morning. I'd go into work. I'd start my shift. Um, I'd literally have if like everyone go off and have their small break in the mornings. I'd go and get and and I'd go you know off to fetal assessment and get them. Um, an IM injection of antiemetics again people will go on their lunch break for an hour <clears throat> excuse me people will go on their lunch break for their hour I'd go you know go off and get a litre of fluids ran in oh, because I wouldn't be taking in anything like they couldn't eat and then I'd finish my shift my husband used to drive me to work and pick me up because I physically couldn't drive and I'd just go home and fall into bed and get up and do the same thing the next morning like I wasn't even eating at around I think it was <clears throat> around 30 30 weeks 31 weeks I was working and I was um I just was really breathless and I, I I a senior midwife that was working with me at the time she was very kind to me she said 
oh my goodness she said you can't get to the end of a sentence you're really breathless we sit down there and I'll um you know take your blood pressure and stuff like that and, and check you out and I, I had a heart rate of like 145 and she was like, oh no, we better get somebody to review you. So then um, I got reviewed by uh, a reg and they sent me to the emergency room because they thought I had a, um, a blood clot in the lung, so a P, a pulmonary embolism. So I was um, sent for a VQ scan. I was admitted. I was put on heparin. And during this anyway, then they discovered that I actually had cholestasis. So that's um, an issue with the liver. So it's um, basically the bile acids build up in your blood. Um, so it's, it just presents for mothers as, you know, itchy hands and itchy feet. You know, palms of your hands itch and the soles of your feet itch. And it's, that's kind of it really. It's, it's not too detrimental for mother, but it, that meant that I had to stop working. So I was signed off work, but I had to go into the hospital then um, three days every week. So Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So I had to go in and they'd do like a CTG scan and then they'd take my bloods to see if um, my bile acids had gone too high. So there was like a limit. And if it went above it, then... I'd, ha- I'd have to come in and they'd either, depending on, you know, how early I was, it would be a section or a, an induction. So even though I wasn't working, I was still spending as much time. <laughs> yeah. And were you symptomatic uh, at yeah. this stage for the, the cholestasis? Is that what it's called? I had only the tiniest itch in my hands. I have to say, you now I wasn't, I, it wasn't very strong. I, I, to be honest, I don't think if I, if I wasn't a midwife, I probably wouldn't have even said it it wasn't you know that noticeable it wasn't drawing yeah. my attention only for myself that I kind of knew you know what to look out for like I was put on obviously there's you're put on arsifalc and stuff like that which is the medication for it so I was like on the highest dose that I could be on and it was going grand I got on a Thursday for my normal appointment and the bloods from the previous day had been fine so they were saying oh, we won't need to induce you now because they were saying that they'd possibly need to induce me that day, but that I could go home for the weekend and they'd have a look at the bloods uh, on Monday and and see how I get on. And I was only gone out the door at about half past two and the bloods they had taken that day came back and they rang me at half four, come straight in. Um, You're going to be induced straight away. And throughout this, um, were you still on your anti-sickness medication? Yeah. You were, okay, yeah. You yeah okay. so I was still on anti-emetics as well so yeah so um I went in for my um I went in they rang me at half past four I was in there at half past five and I had my first gel by half past six so it was like really really fast I was in the induction room um so I came all prepared with my bag was all ready and I was you know, had the, the husband all prepared. He'd done all the classes with me. You know, I I had gone through everything about what induction was with him. And like, I'd gone through the whole thing inside out. So we went in and for, as first time parents, naively thought we were completely prepared. <laughs> and so that was it. So I started with the induction and um, I got my first gel around half a six. Um, and I started, yeah, it was pretty quick. Within a couple of hours, I responded very well to the gel. And within a couple of hours, um, I started labor. So I, I was pretty lucky that way. Um, so I started so, laboring. And, 
yeah sorry just just like all of this is so much for you to deal with in your first pregnancy as well so it's like everything just fast forwarded within a couple of weeks how did you cope with that like I'm sure you had to use your your hypnobirthing techniques to kind of I don't know keep yourself balanced maybe or keep yourself do you know I think that being a midwife really was probably kicked in more than anything else and that was the ability to compartmentalize like I think because I was so used to dealing with this for other people that I almost was like making myself just another you know another case another woman you know that I was caring for but it being myself so I definitely think I distanced myself massively from what was actually happening like I in hindsight I don't think I really was taking in that this was me and my experience I think I was really compartmentalizing it and I was in work mode when I was talking about my pregnancy I don't think I had that connection that it was mine to be honest I think I had really I think once stuff started kind of becoming more medicalized and things started to go wrong as such that I think I really just compartmentalized it and made it about work that like this was something I, I that I would normally deal with every day rather than making it more personal yeah. um, I don't know maybe it was just mechanism. my way of coping with it at the time yeah yeah so I totally slipped into like I'm a, I'm a midwife mode but um yeah I went in for the induction and I started really quick with the gel I, I, you know I, I you know worked with the gel really quickly started laboring um <clears throat> labored through the night the shifts changed over um I got a midwife that I wasn't quite fond of um I didn't know her or anything uh she was completely unknown to me but I just we didn't see eye to eye I'd say um she basically was just like her her to be honest from the second she came into the room all she wanted to do was get rid of my husband she just wanted him to go home um and of course my husband was like no I'm here for my wife who is laboring but because I'm in the because you're in the induction room um so the induction room in Cork there's five beds in there so they prefer if partners go home because there's other women in the room you know you're not in a room on your own like in the delivery um suites so it to be honest like she was most concerned with just getting him out than anything else um so I was laboring at the time like so my husband was like you know no I'm staying here with her and she was like there's gonna be no baby tonight and he was like I'm not here for a baby I'm here for my wife and I was like oh thank god I've trained him well (laughs) yeah I was like because I warned him I was like don't you leave my side no matter what goes on in here don't leave because they will try to get you to leave because I knew and so uh, from a midwife's point of view if you don't make a connection with someone can you speak to someone and say listen I need someone else to help me is like is is that possible yeah so I like I always tell women when I do antenatal classes or when I'm doing you know their preparation classes that if you go into a delivery suite and a midwife comes in and you feel like you don't connect with them or that there's you know you know, that you're not on the same wavelength, that there's something, you know, not quite right, then mm. I would definitely have, my biggest advice would be have like maybe, you know, a cold word with your husband or your partner. Good idea, yeah. That you can just say to them 
that it's that they can deal with it. You're just letting them know without having to make a big scene about it that you're not comfortable with this person. And then I would say, have your partner ask the midwife to step outside so they could chat and just say to them, like, you know, look, it's not really a good fit. You know, nothing against you. We're just not really gelling or on the same wavelength. Could we possibly have somebody else? Um, There's like, yeah, there's, there's, I just think take it away from the mother. I don't think it should be the mother, you know, in the middle of laboring and, you know, concentrating on giving birth. So it's good to just have that prepared with a partner and let them take care of it. and let them do it, you know, because I totally always tell mums, like partners, whoever your birth partner is, um, they should be your environmental managers. They should be the people who's managing the environment. You know, you you have to take care of everything else. So definitely, I would always advise women to do that. But um, yeah, so I definitely would have it prepared with somebody else, because when you're the person in the bed, it's very, very hard. And in yeah. my experience, that's what I found. I think being a midwife, I found for me probably hindered me more than helped me, I think, mm-hmm. because um, just in, you know, I suppose my husband was like um, more like this is her area. This is her job I'm coming into. Um, you know, there definitely was a downside to giving birth to where you work. And I would probably never do it again. <laughs> for me, anyway, I found it awkward to to differentiate and to pull apart you know work and this is my birth you know so having that ability to you know wanting to stand up for what you wanted to do but also being very cautious of the fact that this was your workplace you have to come back and work here afterwards you know so like you know the way you can say like you could women you know I'd say to women go in and say this or say that or whatever you want to say but it's a very fine line when you have to go back in and work there then if you're a staff there that was holding me back from maybe what I would have done differently in in hindsight obviously 2020 vision so yeah so I I I, it kind of started with this midwife who wanted him gone and I was laboring and um I was laboring away I was out in my birth ball you know doing all, all all my tricks had my tracks on you know my hypnobirthing tracks I gentle birth tracks I music I had like a whole playlist (laughs) my whole playlist downloaded I had like all my essential oils and like I literally now had a birth toolkit I had a cub seat I bought my own cub seat like but um yeah this midwife just really rubbed me and chipped she chipped away at me um until eventually she actually got him to leave at about I think it was about 12 or one o'clock in the morning um but I was just to be honest, I was just so worn down that I just was like, okay, leave. She's annoying me. Just leave. Like, you know, but he went anyway. Yeah. No. So like I, I was meant to have a second gel. Then a half is 12. You know, they give you the gel every six hours. But yeah. when they came, when they came around to review me and um, they were like, no, you've started, you know, you're, you're, you're laboring away yourself there nicely. We won't bother giving you the second gel. I just said, I, I'd kind of just keep going until I needed, you know, more support and I'd get them to give him a call or I'd give him yeah. a, a text myself. So um, he went off home and I um, was doing my thing, my birth ball. And then I think it was about like two o'clock in the morning, half two. And um, the midwife came back in and she said, "Um, we need to give you a second gel. And I said, no, you've already reviewed me and said, I don't need a second gel. And she said, no, things have kind of slowed down um, and we think you need a second gel. And I was like no they haven't slowed down I don't need a second gel so we had this kind of um 
this back and forth for a while where he was refusing the second gel and then um she left and she said i'll go i'll go chat to the regis or whatever and then a different midwife came in and she said no we really need to give you this second gel and i said i really don't want it because i i'm just about managing at the moment i just just like to see how things go i'd like more time and she left and another midwife came in and said the same thing and i said I really, really, I don't want to, like, I'm just hanging on as I'm doing and I'd like to just give this a little bit more time to kind of, you know, move along on its own. And a fourth midwife came in. And by the time the fourth midwife came in, I was, I was laboring at this point now. So I'm on my own. I'm laboring. And I'm literally being bombarded by four different people asking not asking, telling me I need another gel. And eventually I said, okay, I gave in. Maybe I'm just not seeing, you know, what I should be seeing. I had nobody to talk it through with either because they had taken my support for me by sending my husband home. Um, but yeah, I got the second gel. And once they gave me the second gel, things just went like totally loss of control. Like it was, it went from naught to 60 for me. Like my ability to cope just went just flew out the window because the if it just felt like the labor just took off like okay. I definitely wasn't able to manage after the second gel and I so yeah so I was there I was totally on my own because after I got the second gel I actually never saw anyone I got my after I had a CTG I don't know if you're familiar but you need to have you know the heart rate CTGs after yeah. you've had after you've had a gel put in and I and I after I had that like that was kind of it I you know there was no support there was nobody came in to check was I doing okay behind the curtain you know I I was vomiting continuously still throughout this and because I had obviously like a really weak stomach and I was just throwing up and throwing up and a student midwife pulled back the curtain and she was like oh my goodness you know all my kidney dishes were full and she was like do you need more dishes and I was like yes please and that was literally the only interaction I had and that was I think at about like six o'clock in the morning at this stage and the one thing that sticks out in my head and it's such a funny thing but I literally was sitting I was by a window and there's like a Penny's shopping center across the road (laughs) And I was literally looking at the car park and I was like, what I wouldn't give to be in the car park of pennies now, like just a normal person without this happening. Oh God. Yeah. You know, it was just yeah. like, it was so isolating. It was just, it was, I have to say now, it was not a good experience for me. And I was, I was laboring like so hard. I literally didn't have the ability to even take my phone out like and message my husband to come in. Like I couldn't even you know put together like get out of the uh, the bed and well I, I wasn't lying on the bed because I had so much back pressure I didn't know it at the time but he was actually direct OP kind of you know half on the bed half on a chair and I was like up kind of on my hands and knees and like I couldn't even get my phone to like message for my husband to come back I was you know and you so know when you just <laughs> has any had anyone contacted your husband or offered to ring your husband no 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 nobody so I kind of just totally went into the zone after that I yeah. I literally don't remember a lot you, you know when you get it I mean you'll know it if you've labored where you know your sight just goes down to like pinpoints 
yeah like you, you literally have that like you know just nothing around you actually even gets in and I just remember hearing the voice of the midwife that I knew who had given me my first gel at half past six the previous evening and I heard her talking outside the curtain and I thought oh must be half past seven must be shift changeover she must be in and that was the only way that I knew the time and then the next thing was I just saw my husband's shoes and he was like, he, he came in and he must have been talking to me now, but I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even hear him. And then I heard the midwife who I knew, who was, um, who I'd seen the night before. I heard her um, kind of giving out a bit, you know, and saying, how long has she been in there? How long has she been like that? And the next thing I knew, she had whipped me to a delivery suite. I literally don't even remember walking there. I actually asked my husband, I was like, how did I get there? And he was like, I'm not lying, but she actually ran you down the corridor. Um, and he was like, I was running after you with all our bags and stuff. And He must have got, got an into, awful fight when he came. Like he literally you. just arrived. Yeah. And he was like, oh my God, like, were you, like, he was like, Has, have you been like this all night? Like, why didn't you ring me? And I was like, I couldn't even talk. I wasn't even talking to the midwife because I, I knew her. I'd worked with her quite a bit and... She was like, oh my goodness, you poor thing. You've had such a long night and, you know, um, I get you an epidural. You need to rest. And I was like, yes, please. At this point, now I had obviously done all this preparation and I was like, you know, I'm going to try my, obviously I had a birth plan, but it was open, yeah. you know, go with the flow. But like, obviously I hadn't wanted, but at this point I had been, I felt like I had been laboring so hard for so long. I was like, yeah you get me that epidural I'm totally yeah. ready for it bring it on <laughs> and I just kind of remember thinking to myself you know these th there's no break they're just coming one on top of the other then I was doubting myself and I was saying I you just feel like that now because it's you you know because you're the one who's feeling the surges and you just feel like there's no break in between, but there has to be a break in between because there is a break in between. And I was just thinking, you know, they're just coming so quick. Do you think that that's because you were broken down a little bit? Do you think you would have had a stronger mentality there maybe if you had been nurtured rather than yes. moved along? Yeah. 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 So like had, had I been, had I actually had care, had someone mm. cared for me during this, like at this point, now I've gone the whole night on my own. There's nobody been with me. So I, I had this feeling and I, I kind of, you know, wasn't saying anything because again, you know, my self-confidence had been shipped away and I was doubting myself. I was thinking, you know, that's, you know, you're just think, feeling like that because it's you. But it actually turns out in hindsight, I, I was um, having back-to-back -back labor. I was actually overstimulated from having the second gel and I was contracting too much. Um, so there was no break in between them. Um, so like the midwife who would come in in the morning had discovered this. So I had that this was why there was such a rush to get me to his livery suite and get me um, an epidural. And even with the epidural, um, she was like, I'm going to go out and speak to the anaesthetist and, and get you, you know, the consultant is there. And I'll ask him, will he cite your epidural for you? And she went out, she came back in and she said, because you have cholestasis, he won't cite the epidural without getting um bloods done so I had to get bloods taken and sent to the lab before they'd um cite the epidural and she took the bloods and she sent them to the lab and they got lost 
So she had to take the bloods a second time and they got lost again. So she had to take the bloods a third time. Meanwhile, I'm still waiting for my epidural. So she had to take the bloods like three times. Um, and eventually the third time they got there, they were rushed and, you know, they came back all fine. Um, what would be the protocols? So usually if a woman came in who had your condition, would they not just be tested straight away in case they did need epidural? Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest, whether this was something that <clears throat> that's in the policies and procedures or whether this was just something that this particular consultant in um, wanted done because, um, because I was an emergency induction, because I had been so rushed. Was this just something he was, you know, he thought I needed? To be honest, I'm not really sure. I hadn't really actually, you know, heard of it until it happened to myself. Okay. Um... So, um, so we had the bloods done, they came back and that was great. The, you, the anaesthetist came in to cite the epidural. Um, I was literally just like standing at the edge of the bed cause I couldn't sit down or get in the bed. And I just saw his little orange scrubs coming in under the curtain and I was like, ah, manna from heaven. And, um, he came in and he was like, you know, you're going to have to sit really still for the epidural. And I was like, listen, I've done this a million times with other people. I got it. I know what I'm to do. And um, so I got up anyway and I, I sat I sat as still as a stone. I think if you told me I had to stand on my head for it, I would have. I'd have managed it yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, so I got the epidural anyway. And in the meantime, it was really, really funny because my, my husband, um, the midwife said to my husband, do you know what you do? Run out now and get a drink while we're waiting for the anaesthetist to come and um, come back to us, you know, before he comes in. Um, and I think at that point she wanted him to eat something and drink something. I think she kind of knew that we were, we weren't looking at the best scenario. She was trying to get him sugared up. Right. Um, in preparation, I'd say for what was going to come. So she sent him out and he said he left and my husband doesn't drink tea or coffee. He doesn't drink any hot drinks. So he was like, I'll just get a nice, you know, can of Coke and, you know, something to nibble on. And he said he was coming back to the labor ward and you have to, you know, buzz in. You can't just kind of walk in and out. You have to buzz in. And um, he said he buzzed in and then he realized that he had never gotten the number of which delivery suite we were in. And the birthing suites now, they, they all look identical. They're all the same, like running down the side of the corridor. But he said as soon as the door opened when they buzzed me in, he said, I could just hear you. Because like he uh, he said, no, you were just like mooing like a <laughs> It's uncontrollable though, isn't it? You can't. And I was like, who's making that noise? <laughs> you can't even hear it in your own ears. But no. he said, he said, he, he always says it to me. He's like, that sound, he says, Claire, I've never heard it before. He's like, and I've never heard it since. Yeah. He said like it was just so guttural. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a mix between like a roar and a moo. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so he said he was just following the sound like he said he just, I just followed the sound that it brought me to the door I was skilling literally as the epidural started kicking in I don't know if you've ever had an epidural for any of your um births um but it was literally like being dropped back into the room so it was like as if I was kind of somewhere else like in the zone you know tr trying to cope with the the, the labor and then as the you know the sensation was beginning to get dulled it was literally like being dropped back in the room I remember just kind of looking around and I just looked at my husband and I went hello I was like how long have you been here <laughs> like I literally 
it felt like I had kind of just been brought back as if I had been somewhere else and I was just kind of like my husband said you just kept apologizing for the noise you were making like I was just saying I'm really sorry I was making loads of noise I'm really sorry um and of course the midwife was like be quiet and don't be apologizing of course you were making noise and she was like you know don't be fussing so then she was like okay you have your epidural now um you know you have to get your catheter put in and they do a vaginal exam normally when they're putting the catheter in to just kind of see what's what's going on after the um the sighting of the epidural and I said grand no bothers she said do you mind if I do a vaginal exam I said no not at all she did the vaginal exam anyway and I kind of saw by her face I knew that something was up and um, she said I'm just going to get a doctor to double check and I knew straight away that this well-experienced midwife asking for a doctor to check a vaginal exam was not a good sign because this is you know a very experienced midwife who knows her stuff inside out um so I said to her I said what's going on and she said don't you worry now you're not a midwife you're the mom just lay back and relax and and she had like you know the the heart monitor tur- screen turned away from me and she was like you just try to relax and um so then she called in a doctor um she called in a doctor a junior doctor came in and she said look I'm going to get a senior doctor then the senior doctor came in and the senior doctor had to look at his um, CTG and heart rate and stuff. And she said, look, um, would you mind if I just did an FBS straight away? So an FBS is um, a fetal blood sample. So it's where they like kind of, you know, they make a little nick in baby's head and they take some blood just to check what baby's blood gases and oxygen levels and stuff are. Okay. And see how baby is getting on. And she said, we'll see how baby is doing and if baby is getting on grand then we'll make a plan and see what's going on so I was like that okay fine that sounds that sounds good to me she was very kind explained everything you know let me ask questions like I think it was you know she was one of the first people other than the midwife I knew who was looking after me like she really was one of the for a doctor I know they probably get like a bad rap sometimes but she was so kind to me and she really um you know gave me options and choice like she wasn't saying this is what I want to do she was saying would you mind what do you think about this like involving you in the in the discussion so I said yeah let's do it let's have a look and see what's going on for baby and so she did the um she did the fbs you know so you have to get up in the stirrups and it's um they put a speculum in and stuff like that so she was saying to me do you know what you're having and i was saying no it's a surprise we didn't find out and so she was like do you mind if your husband comes down and has have a look because this child is a gigantic head of jet black hair mm-hmm. so like she had my husband down there looking at how much hair was baby had yeah. and stuff like that so she was kind of bringing a bit of joy into the scenario you know um so yeah so she literally took the blood sample um and she gave the blood sample to a midwife who took it out of the room and then you know they took my legs out of the stirrups and stuff like that and within I'd say a minute or two the room just flooded with people and it was called for a crash section because his blood gases were super low so it was an emergency section get him out as soon as possible so literally within minutes there was just people everywhere the bed was pulled out into the hall straight down to theater um so yeah 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. To come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It was just like, you know, all the questions being called at you. You know, what are you allergic to? Do you have anything silver in? You know, the usual for theatre. Um, we got down to theatre then, and the two obstetric theatres were full, so they had to push me into the gynae theatre and get that set up for a section and so even that wasn't straightforward so I went off I went into the gynae theatre and I remember thinking oh my god I literally got my epidural like 10 minutes ago this is not going to be sufficient for a section like surely you know this isn't going to work like that this is all I was afraid of the whole way down Um, but there was one very kind midwife who came in um, as they were pushing the bed she was helping and she just came up to the top of the bed to me and she held my hand and she said I know what it feels like um, being rushed to theatre for a section she said and the scariest bit she said is when you're running down the corridor she said so take my hand and close your eyes and when we get to theatre I'll tell you open them and it was the kindest thing I think anyone had did yeah and she held my hand the whole way down and to be honest, I don't even think I spoke to her. I never even got the chance to thank her um, because I was in shock. I, there was like, I spoke to no one. I don't think there's any words came out of my mouth. I'd say if you asked my husband, he said I was just like a mute. I was just, okay, yeah, just nodding my head. Um, 
got into theatre and I was like the anaesthetist was just over my shoulder and I didn't know what was happening but I just said to him look I'm terrified I only got my epidural 10 minutes ago I don't think this is gonna work <laughs> and he was like I'm already after you know topping up your spinal it's, it's okay you're gonna be fine like I promise you and I was like okay and I think that's the most words I probably spoke and then my husband came in because they had gotten him gowned up and that was it I I was just they were doing the section but again I think being a midwife probably wasn't the best because in my head I I had done god only knows how many um sections I had been you know in on as a midwife and of course all I was thinking about was okay they're doing this now they're doing this now they're doing this now so in my head and that's quite terrifying when you're the person on the table thinking you know have they separated my tummy muscles yet oh that's the bit but I don't really like it <laughs> You can see it from the other side rather than... Yeah, in my head, I'm running through what's going on on the other side. Um, so, yeah, so I was, like, kind of just going along and um, there was a lot of tugging and pulling because he was in a, a real difficult kind of a position. Um, and uh, eventually they took him out and they were like, nobody say anything because she doesn't know if she's having a boy or a girl, let her find out herself. So they were trying oh, to... Yeah like you know give me as much of um what I had asked for you know or yeah. what I was hoping for so they literally lifted him up over the curtain mm -hmm. and I was like oh it's a boy and he was whipped away you know and then I, I started crying because I was like oh, my husband was like what's wrong with you he's fine you know he, he's there I'm looking at him he's doing great and I was drawing crying because I was like I never looked at his face I just looked at whether he was a boy or a girl so I was like, if anything happens to him, I couldn't pick him out in a crowd, like, because I hadn't looked at his, I was concentrating so hard on seeing if it was a boy or a girl. Yeah. I was like, Actually, I don't, I don't even know what he looks that. like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us that do that. That's what we, we don't, we barely look at their faces. It's, we go straight for their little yeah, bits. like, what is it? <laughs> and it's like, why are we, why are we so obsessed? I was like, look at the child's face. Like, you can figure out you know it's gender later on like we're obsessed with whether it's a boy or a girl and um, so yeah so I was roaring crying then I was like I didn't even look at his face you know if anything happens to him and my husband was like no he's crying I could can you hear him and I was like okay I can hear him crying you know thank god he's crying that's a good sign you know that he's screaming his head off so we were like that's great thank god the child is is okay and then I kind of said oh god you know what I feel a bit sick but that's quite normal in a section to have you know to want to vomit after the 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 drugs and stuff like that and obviously all the shunting about and I said I kind of feel a bit nauseous and um the anaesthetist is over my shoulder and he said are you okay and I said I don't really know I don't I, I'm feeling kind of funny and he was like tell me exactly what you're feeling and I was saying I'm not really sure but then I was like oh no my lips are tingling and he was like cough for me and I was like I can't um and I was trying to cough and I couldn't cough so and then I couldn't breathe so my block had traveled up so I went unconscious then so they um they threw my husband out straight away and they t they tilted the theater table um up to try to run the block downwards to try to keep it running down so it was moving up so I came around then and I had like, you know, a mask, oxygen mask and stuff like that. And, you know, the niece is like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And he was, you know, cough for me. And can you, you know, lick your lips? How does it breathe? Blah, blah, blah. So I, I was like, I'm, I'm actually, I've come around. I feel, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. So then, you know, the anesthetist was saying to the surgeons, can you, 
can you finish like this? Because if I tilt the table back down, she's going to go off again. Like, um, so they they were like, that's fine. We can continue suturing. We're almost finished. So they finished suturing, and then I had to be transferred to um, obviously you know to a bed to move into the recovery room. So they had to lay me down flat for that. So they laid me down flat again. And once they laid me down flat, I went off again. So I woke up being like resuscitated with like masks on my face. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I they finally got into the bed for the recovery. It was tilted up so I didn't have to do any more transferring. So my husband was outside and then I was like, I want my baby. Like I was like, where's my baby? It's <laughs> like, after all this, where is he? So yeah. they were trying to put him in my arms to, you know, to carry him out of um, the theatre. We put babies with mums as soon as we can, but I was completely numb. So like my chest was numb. I had no feeling in one hand, arm or hand. I only had one hand that I had feeling in, in my left hand. Um, so I couldn't hold him um, because even though I had the one hand to hold him to my chest, I couldn't feel how tight I was holding him because my chest was numb. So like they tried for a few seconds, but then they were like, look, it's really not safe here because you can't feel what you're doing. We'll give him to your husband. Is that okay? And I was like, okay. So at this point, I still haven't held my child. So I'm rolling out of theater with like an oxygen tank on the bed next to me and my little mask on and my husband has, has my son. And we go into the recovery room. So I was in recovery for five and a half hours because um, we had to wait for this block to to wear off before obviously it was, you know, safe for me to go to the wards, go to the postnatal ward. Um, so the recovery, you know, went fine. I got back feeling eventually and everything. Um, the midwife in the recovery room helped me um, latch him on and breastfeed him. So I breastfed him in the recovery room. So he had his first breastfeed and then then he had a dusky episode. So he kind of went blue while he was in recovery when the, he was in the cot for a little bit. So they got the peds to come and check him out. And they just kind of felt that it was, you know, a bit of a bit of mucus from the section. You know, they can be quite mucusy. Um, so I, I went to the postnatal ward then and um, I was up there recovering sure I couldn't move because I had had an epidural or whatever but I remember like you know all my colleagues coming to see me and saying oh my god like you know we heard about your you know what happened Jesus you had an awful time and I remember just being like I asked his grand look we're here now and just fine and I really couldn't see why everyone was um at that point I had just totally like the disconnect was unbelievable like I had I was like that's done now you know don't even think about it that's over with now look here we have the baby and church is fine like huge huge disconnect with how the birth had went like how he got there but I just remember having this this feeling of um like almost being cheated yeah it kind of felt to me like um like you know I was like this is my baby this can't be my baby like sure I haven't done anything that's kind of the way I felt it was almost like the only way I can kind of describe it how it felt for me it felt like if you trained for months for a race like for a marathon we say and you arrived at the start line and you walked a mile and they gave you your medal and said well done go home you're grand that's what it felt like for me 
like that's the only thing I can kind of describe it to I kind of felt like oh it's over like what happened yeah um and I, I like there was just this chasm like a huge disconnect with what happened and um so I just remember I was definitely I'd say in shock for about the first two or three days like I barely remember what happened while I was in hospital I'd say recovering he was having his pediatrician check done and I just thought I thought he had a bit of a funny cry like I thought he had a bit of a high-pitched cry and I said to the pediatrician I said he kind of has a bit of a high-pitched cry it it sounds a bit funny and she said look don't worry about it because he's a little bit premature so they they tend to have like you know a higher pitched cry if they're if they're prem babies and I said yeah probably that's probably what it is but it did never really sat right with me I kind of had a feeling that there was something and I came home and I was to say I was mentally in a bad place and I would be an understatement in hindsight looking back obviously at the time I thought I was doing great but like in hindsight it was I was not in a good place and I struggled massively with breastfeeding and I had so I put so much pressure on myself because it was like everything else has gone wrong you have got to nail this breastfeeding like this was like the last straw now of you know something that I could make work for me and it was just oh it just it you know it was too much for me I mentally I just couldn't cope with it to say now that there was something wrong with that I had a bad supply or or low supply or anything like that I had no issues like that just literally mentally I could not cope with um caring for him I just I couldn't cope with caring for him like I struggled massively at the start with connecting with him like building that connection because there was this um, I suppose this protection method I was distancing myself from the birth but then I was also causing a disconnect to my baby was now here yeah so it was kind of like trying to let the birth in enough to bond with my baby but not enough that I became overwhelmed with what happened so it was kind of like always threading a fine line and then throwing the breastfeeding in on top of that was just like whoa this is like way too much um, and of course I naively thought that if I stop breastfeeding, this is gonna, this is gonna fix it. Cause we, I, the first thing we always go to is, you know, oh, stop breastfeeding. And then that's one less thing to worry about. But of course I, I stopped breastfeeding after a couple of weeks. And once I stopped breastfeeding, so then I was hit with the grief because I stopped breastfeeding. I had massive mum guilt over it. Um, it was horrific so that was just I I was devastated that I I was like you can't even make this work like you can't do any of this you're no good so I went another couple of weeks and then I actually relactated because I had beat myself up so much about it I was like no I'm going back I'm going going to get a lactation consultant I'm going to relactate I'm going to try again um so I did I did that and of course the work behind relactating is no joke so my husband was like why are you doing this to yourself you're barely hanging on by a thread and now you don't have to pump every two or three hours throughout the night because I'm trying to get back a a milk supply for him so yeah it was just kind of you know one after the other in the meantime then my little boy I just constantly felt like there was something wrong. I was like, there's something wrong. But I think because I was so mentally not the best, I think people just put it down to 
anxiety and being a first time mom. And um, that's what my GP said to me, actually, when I said it to her at my six week check, I said, you know, I'm just, there's something up with him and I'm not quite sure what it is. And um, she said to me, look, you're just an anxious first time mom and you're a midwife and you know too much and just go home and get to know your baby. It's just you getting to know your baby. And I thought maybe she's right, you know. I'm probably just thinking too much about it. And as time went on and he was kind of about two and a half months, I I said to my mom, I said, Mom, like I'm just not a bit happy with him. Um and at this point, like all the time I was saying it to my mom, she was saying, Oh no, just like give him time. You're both recovering from a really tough um birth, you know, and, and give it time and I was like, mm, okay. And I remember I said it to her around two and a half months and she said, you know what? I, I think you're right. She was like, there's a few, like there's some things that are just not right. Like he never cried. Like he was just too good. And he used to, the only time he'd cry was he'd cry to be put down. He hated to be handled. Um, Which I knew was quite unusual for a newborn because we know newborns like to be like to be held they like to be upright they like to be with their mums um they like that containment and he just didn't but I kind of just put it down to every baby's different and but in my head like my maternal instinct was going like mental saying no there's something not right there's something not right um so I rang my public health nurse and I said look I know he's due a three-month assessment soon um, could we do it a little early because I'm just really I'm kind of I'm not happy with him I'd just like you to check him over and she said no bothers so she literally saw me within a few days and when I brought him up so he was quite um he was quite a pudgy baby like he was a, a solid baby you know he he was um what I call a pampers baby you know he had rolls and chubby cheeks <laughs> and um oh yeah he was just like full of the cuddles like and um I said to her, I said, look, I know now he looks like he's really sturdy, but he has very poor muscle tone. Like he has no head control. Like he cannot hold up his head. Um, and she was saying to me, is this, is this what's kind of worrying you the most? And I was saying, yeah. And his temperament. And I was saying like, I was saying, you know, he never cries and he's really good. And she was saying, are you serious? Shut up. Like everyone is giving out because like, you know, their baby cries too much. Enjoy it. And, and I was saying, oh yeah. Okay. All right. I'm totally you know, just, I was like, I'm just an anxious Annie. Like I'm just, you know, getting too caught up with it. But then she picked him up to do his check. And like, when she picked him up, she went, oh, I, I know what you mean now. She was like, he has very poor muscle tone. Like he's really like a rag doll. And I said, yeah, this is what I'm trying to tell people. Nobody's listening to me. And so she did his exam and she said, you know, he had quite a lot of head lag and poor muscle tone. So she said, look, I'm going to refer you to, um, you know, like the health officer. So the community doctor to check him out. Because she said, I'm really not happy with him. Like, you know, I'd like a doctor to have a look. And I said, grand, no bothers. So she sent the referral. And of course, we all know the referrals at the HSE. It was like another two months before I actually got to see this person. So eventually I got to see this person who literally brought me in and did like a, a, an ages and stages check with him, you know, kind of checking through everything. And literally within like about 10 minutes said to me, no, this is out of my scope. I'm referring you to a pediatric neurologist. Um, he's very far behind. And I said, oh, okay, that's a bit nerve wracking, but okay. So we 
um, we, I said to her, like, is there any chance we can go private? Because I'm not waiting two months. Like, I'm now a nervous yeah. wreck at this point. I was like, I'm not waiting another two months. And she said, oh, you'll be waiting. Like, the lists are long. And I said, look, he has his own private health insurance. I, I got him health insurance the second he was born. I said, if I go private, will it make a difference? And she said, oh, yeah, it will. I'll send you a, a referral to the private clinic. Um so I said, great, do that. So uh, I, we went to the neurologist about, I think it was maybe two or three weeks we waited. Um, not an excessively long time or anything. Um, and we went to the neurologist and she said, yeah, there's there's something up. So she checked him out and she thought it might be cerebral palsy. But then she ruled that out. And she said, look, I really need to do an MRI of the brain. She said, but there's no point really in doing it before he's won just because of great brain growth and stuff like that and she said we really wouldn't be doing them she said until he's one so she said look I'll see him we'll keep following up and we'll do the MRA when he's one so at this point now he's about six months okay. um and we'll do the MRA and I said oh, I was I was kind of a bit little bit like what more kind of hold your breath and wait I was just like you know but okay if this is what needs to happen fair enough so in the meantime, now he had been referred to physiotherapy and everything like that because he was six months and he was unable to hold his head. He couldn't roll over. Like he was doing nothing. So like I was doing physiotherapy with him every week. Um, they were sending him to occupational therapy then because the physiotherapist really wasn't happy with him. Like she was really pushing. She was saying, no, he needs more input. Like what are they doing? And I was like, they're telling me wait for an MRA and she was just like, I can't believe this, you know, look, look, this child is clearly, you know, in need of, of care. Like, and so in about another month, um, I, I still wasn't happy with him. And I called the public health nurse again and she said, come on up because I'll do your seven to nine month checkup with him. So she saw him and she wasn't a bit happy. So she actually rang the neurologist and the neurologist said, look, we're going to end up doing the MRA in a couple of months. Um, I'll make an appointment. You'll get a letter and we'll, we'll admit him for the day and we'll do the MRA now. So I said, grand, that sounds brilliant. So got the letter, fasted from the night before, brought him into the hospital, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And we went in, and, you know, they're prepping him for to sedate him for the MRA because obviously as a child, they're not going to sit still. So they need to sedate them to do the MRA. Um, so they're doing his obs before they give him the sedative and they take his oxygen sats and they're really low and they can't get them up. So the nurse says, I'm going to have to call the consultant, the neurologist back. So our neurologist came back and she, she's very nice. And she came in and she was like, um, well, I have to cancel the MRI because there's no way we can sedate him with oxygen sats that low. But she said, more importantly, we're actually now more worried about why, why they are that low. Forget about the MRA. So she said, I'm going to admit him for the day and we're going to do a heart echo and we're going to um, do a chest x-ray and we're going to have a look and see if we can figure out why his oxygen levels are so low. So off we went. We got admitted for the day. Um, and we went and got a, a heart echo done and we got a chest x-ray. And it turned out that he had a huge congenital heart abnormality and he had basically um, one set. So there's four chambers in the heart. There's like two atrium and two ventricles. And he basically had one atrium and two ventricles. Nothing. He should have had a septum in between the atriums and it just wasn't there basically. 
so they came into us and they said oh my goodness we can't believe that we found this that like this is like so unusual that we would come across this you know like this and so late and the pediatrician couldn't believe it and she said I'm going to have to refer you to Crumlin um you know this is out of our scope we don't deal with pediatric cardiology here um so she said I'll have to send you to Crumlin so we went in because we thought there was something neurologically wrong with him now and we came out with you know as a heart defect so then the pediatrician was thinking you know that the the delay was because of the heart defect that you know that was maybe slowing down his his you know development um so we went to crumlin um they told us you know all about how bad it was and um you know he had a right strain on the right side of the heart and it was swollen because it was pumping like 200% extra blood capacity to try to cope the cardiologist said no wonder this child isn't rolling over um he probably doesn't have the energy that's why he's crying he's not crying he doesn't want to be handled he just wants to be left alone because he's probably knackered he's working so hard just to keep his blood his body oxygenated and I was like okay that that makes sense yeah so I was still because I at this point I still was in like because it was just constantly one thing after the other like I never had a chance to stop Mm. and actually you know take in what happened so I was just running on like what's happening next what do I got to do next another appointment he's got physio you know he's got OT we've got crumlin we've got to go to the neurologist it was like appointment after appointment like it was just constant go 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 like there was no time to kind of stop and take in what was going on um I was just an autopilot like I was just moving through you know what needs to be done and I um he had his sir he he when he was one he finally got his surgery when he was one so his first surgery failed and it didn't work um, so he'd go back in for a second. Um, he'd open heart surgery um, and it was fixed. Um, that was one thing ticked off the list. And <clears throat> then he was still attending um, physio and OT because they really thought once the heart got fixed that he'd catch up, you know, with his his milestones that he'd pick up again, that it was the heart was kind of slowing him down. But then it turned out that it wasn't. So we ended up, he was referred to COPE. He was diagnosed with an intellectual disability. Um, and then when he was two and a half, three, he was then diagnosed with autism as well. Um, so he's just had like, it's just been one thing after another. The poor little guy has had, he had a tough start and it hasn't got any easier for him. Um, so yeah, so he just, um, no, he's the happiest child you'll ever meet he's oblivious I like to say he's just he's so happy in himself oh there's just so much there I don't know how you have processed all of that to be honest like, yeah so can... there's there's so much there's just one thing on top of the other there's right. so to be honest for myself like for in in like in regards to like just my own maternal mental health I yeah. definitely didn't start dealing with it until after his surgery um, so like he was I'd say he was like a good one and a one and a half he when when I kind of actually things started to kind of I suppose I won't say slow down but as in his surgery was done he was still obviously doing his stuff with cope and and all that but there was kind of a bit of a, a stall you know there wasn't that kind of you know hammer hanging over your head anymore that I actually 
kind of stopped and took stock of what happened and that's when I actually fell apart so he was quite old before I actually had my kind of falling apart postnatally as such like there was kind of quite a delay um and yeah when I fell apart like I fell apart epically like it was it was not good like I ceased to function like it was yeah it was pretty bad I like I just remember I, I wrote my story on Instagram not so long ago, but there was just a point when he was like, um, he was small. And I remember my husband got up to go to work and I was downstairs with, with um, my little boys called Teddy. I haven't even mentioned his name throughout this whole thing. Um, his name is Teddy. I was downstairs with Teddy and my husband was like, oh, you know, I've used the last of the milk. I'll just run over and get some milk and bread before I go to work so that you're set up for the day, you know? And I was like, okay. And I remember looking out the window as he went off to the corner shop. And I was like, if I just run away now, like he can't leave me here. <laughs> like I literally was just like, I, I wanted to run away. I just wanted to run away so bad. Um, and I just thought to myself, oh Jesus, that's not good, Claire. You know, that you're almost like, I'm almost out the door. Like, mm-hmm. and he's come, my husband's coming in the passage and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, about to run away. Um he was like what and I was like I remember just roaring crying to him and I was like I can't like I can't do it anymore I just I can't do it you can't leave me here like um and yeah I remember my mom came in I just he he was like oh god ring your mother (laughs) so he rang my mom my mom came into us like and yeah I just I literally remember and she I was just kind of I was like half crying and not fully crying because I remember my mom saying to me, just let it out, you know, and she was like, just, just let it out. If you need to cry, just cry. And I was like, I actually can't because if I let this out, it's so overwhelming. I'm not going to get back up. Like if I let this out, I'm going to fall down the ground. Like it's just going to destroy me because I was holding back so much that I was like, I can only leave this out in little bits because if I just leave it all out together, I'll crumble. Did you, did you? get help we did yeah so like we yeah I called the um I remember my mum rang the GP and um the GP was like tell her come down to me but you know when you're in that state you genuinely like I just didn't want to go anywhere I didn't want to mm. talk to anyone I didn't want to see anyone the last thing I wanted to do was some stranger be saying to me sure what's wrong with you now sure get on with it that's what I was thinking in my head like I don't think I was processing what had happened to me. Like all I was seeing was that, why can't you function like everyone else? Why can't, like everyone else is doing it, but not taking into consideration that not everyone else has had this multitude of things happen with their baby. And, but I just, I couldn't see that. All I was getting hung up on was that, you know, you failed at this, you failed at that, you know, you, you can't manage now. Jesus, you're useless you know you're so that, hard that's the kind, even yeah yeah but that was the rhetoric that was in my head I literally can't I suppose like I can't put into words how much the birth of my son impacted my entire life like my entire life like everything like the ripple effects like my my whole person as a being like my entire life had to change I did give up my career as a midwife I stopped working in the hospital I came out I had to come out of the hospital because I had to care for him so um you know when he was getting his surgeries and stuff like that we we had a lot going on and no even 
he's got a lot of um, appointments, so he does. He needs a lot of input and a lot of care. So we do. Um, he's got like you know OT, physio, speech and language. He does hippotherapy, which is heart therapy, and all this. Um, so he requires a lot of care. So yeah, so I couldn't do the. I really couldn't continue being a midwife. Um, just the hours and the it didn't suit. So I did um postnatal doula work for a while and I did infant massage classes for a while just things that I could take the hours when it suited me and I could kind of work it around Teddy so but then two years ago I started my um private practice as a lactation consultant so I got my um IBCLC certification so I've been doing that now for the last two years and I absolutely love it so yeah I definitely think that the experience I had my pregnancy birth um, breastfeeding experience, my journey into parenthood experience, I think definitely has helped um, helped me in the work that I do, you know, providing breastfeeding support and antenatal preparation birth classes. Um, it's really, um, it's really made me so passionate about supporting um, families, supporting new parents. Um, I know what it feels like, um, and I know in certain circumstances, women and parents deserve better, uh, deserve better support and more access to accurate, evidence-based information. And I really, I strive hard to help in doing that um, in the job that I'm doing at the moment. Um, I worked hard through therapy myself to process my own birth experience. Um, my own breastfeeding experience and my own journey into parenthood um, and there is help out there um, I just if there's anyone listening who is has experienced anything like I have any traumatic um, events or you know just struggling um, and like we say the word traumatic but that can mean many different things for many different people um, and it's very individual to each person but if you feel like you're struggling and you need help, there is help and there is supports out there. Um, and I'm very happy to give a list of supports um, to anybody. If you want to reach out to me, I leave a list with Cora. Um, if anyone feels, you know, <clears throat> upset or triggered after listening to this, um, I leave some of the supports with Cora and you can contact Cora or myself. Um, but I just feel that... Um, I really wanted to tell my story because I think everyone's story deserves to be told um, and that goes both ways whether it's positive experience whether it's been a traumatic experience and you know whichever one you've had is your experience and one doesn't negate the other Um, you know just because you've had a, a, a you know traumatic experience doesn't mean that somebody else's positive experience you know doesn't mean anything or just because you've had a positive experience doesn't mean that somebody's traumatic experience can't have happened to them or it shouldn't be told. Um, it's in telling our stories that we see our own experiences reflected in someone else's story and that's what creates connection and that's what helps us as new parents maybe struggling to not feel so isolated um, or not feel so alone um, and it helps us with connection so I think it's really important that we tell our stories um, but if you take nothing else from my story um, take this I, I just would love if everyone could just take that follow your gut instinct listen to your intuition 
um, you know, whether it's through pregnancy, birth, you know, breastfeeding, parenting afterwards, listen to your gut. If it doesn't feel right with you, then strive for answers, push for more. Um, maternal instinct definitely is something that we don't often factor in enough. Um, but there is a power in a mother's knowing and, and know that and have that faith in yourself, I think, is is definitely something that I saw in my story that I saw chipped away and how detrimental it was to the rest of my experience. So just having that um, that confidence in that power as your as a mother yourself and your own knowing. Um so yeah, I just thank yourself first of all anyway for you know allowing me to tell my story because as I said it's so important that we get to share these stories. Um and if it helps just one one person listening to know that they weren't alone in their feelings or in the experience they had um that's all you know that's all we're hoping for um so that's my story if you'd like to share your story you're more than welcome to simply pop me an email to irelandsbirthstories at gmail.com or you can find me on instagram under Ireland's Birth Stories. i look forward to bringing you another episode next week Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools. For just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.